Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Uh, we're going to have Joey come up and tell us a joke. Yeah, I was going to say. All right, uh, I'm Joey. I'm your honorary joke teller for the evening. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, all right, so this one, some of you may have heard. All right, it doesn't matter. All right, a mushroom walks into a bar and orders a drink, but the bartender yells at him to get out before he stinks up the place. The mushroom looks taken aback and says, Why? I'm a fun guy. (laughs) Fun guy. Anyway, thank you. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Ryan. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. Uh, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all des- uh, devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Uh, take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Uh, if everybody's ready, we're going to start the meditation. Thank you. 
Uh, welcome back. Um, we're going to do the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, it's up on the screens, uh, so just follow along. Uh, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked April to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Uh, so April, come on up. Hi, I'm April. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, April. Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire and immediate an overwhelming God consciousness, followed by once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, through, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unexpected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Robert Spence. All right. Um, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. Uh, this is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or just turn them off. Um, and tonight we've got Pat coming up for his second session. Um, you know, I, I'm, 
I loved last week. It felt like we were like finally just getting back to that meeting that, that I love. Um, so I'm excited to hear what you're going to do tonight. Um, so let's bring up Pat. Thank you, brother. I'm excited to hear what I'm going to do, too. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat Rogan. <laughs> and thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, uh, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it surely gave me a life worth living, and it gave me a new life. And I, I always say that because it's not why I came in here. I came in here to get my old life back, <laughs> and, uh, and that's not what I got. I got something totally different and something totally new. And uh, and you know, I was I was I was speaking at the one on one club last night. We were doing a big book study there, and uh, I was just kind of overwhelmed. Uh, by the fact that that we get to do this, <laughs> you know, and and I was I was remembering when I came in and I talked a lot about that last week when I hit the program and and uh, and I used to sit on that back wall back there and and uh, look at the back of everybody's heads and listen to Charlie Brown's teacher at the podium, you know, wow 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 wow, while my while the voices in my head were trying to figure everything out, and and I and I would say to myself, I can't believe I ended up here, you know, and. Uh, and I was sitting there last night uh, thinking, man, I can't believe I get to be here, <laughs> you know? And what a, what a transformation that is from having to be here or needing to be here to realizing that I get to be here. And, uh, and, I, and I actually, during the day, read something that Paul had written about being touched by the hand of God. Uh, one of my favorite character, by the way, in all of history is, is Saul, who became Paul in a bigger book. And uh, they stole all our shit, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and Paul said that, that once the, he was touched by the hand of God, that he had a compulsion to carry that message. A compulsion to carry. Like, like he was just he just couldn't not carry that message and uh man i understand that today that that i really have a compulsion to talk about what has taken place in my life the the transformation that has taken place in my life and, and now i kind of get what what bill dodson was talking about in his story in the back of the book where he talks about you know how how god has been so so generous to him so that he's so grateful to god for removing that terrible disease from him that he just can't stop talking about it you know and carrying the message to other people and I kind of feel like that. Like, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than here. You know, like, work is like something I do between meetings. You know, like, this is really what I do. Work is how I kind of make a living, you know. And, and, and I, like, I like the fact that very few people even know what I do for a living. You know, unless you're really close to me, you don't know, you know. You probably don't know what religious leaning I am, and you probably don't know uh, what my political affiliations are. And that's cool. You know, I like it that way, you know. I don't, I don't want to be, like, when, when I finally, like, hit the grave or something, somebody say, you know, Pat, that guy that did so-and-so for a living. Or, you know, Pat, the guy that was the right wing nutcase, you know, or, you know, that, you know, I don't want to be that guy, you know, I want to, I want, I want somebody to say something like, you know, man, that dude helped a lot of people, you know, and, and, and I hope that's, you know, what, what goes on, that's what my epitaph is someday, and, and, uh, and it's just, look, our traditions ask us not to go there anyway, you know, for that other stuff, but, 
so we, we talked a lot about last week how I how I found out what the problem was this this inability to stay stopped because of this obsession of the mind and this inability to control uh, my drinking and drugging because of this physical compulsion that that uh, that set in once I put a drink or a drug into my system this cycle that I was caught up in I mean the doctor just when when Brian uh, exposed me to the doctor's opinion and uh, the cycle that the doctor explains my life is that restless irritable discontent the ease and comfort that comes at once from a couple of drinks or or whatever that drug of choice is at that particular time and then boom off to the races and then coming out of that run apologetic I'm so sorry it'll never happen again your honor you know uh, honey listen that that I, I, my bad my bad and 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 then maybe make it about two days three days max and then be that, that restless, irritable discontent, that internal condition would settle in again, that, that uh, anxiety that just I cannot stand the way I feel for one more freaking second would just set in. And I'm just going to take a couple of drinks to take the edge off. And then, boom, in that cycle again, off to the races again. And, and, and the, the book says this is repeated over and over and over again. And unless we can find what you just read, unless we can find some kind of a psychic change. The, the doctor talks about... Uh, Moral psychology, you know, he's not going to talk about any kind of religious experiences or spiritual experiences, but some kind of moral psychology or psychic change. Uh, there's very little hope for our recovery, you know, that, uh, and, I, and I think I had to face that. Uh, at that point was the first time in my life where I realized what my problem was, that I realized I wasn't crazy when I got here. Anybody else think they were crazy when they got here, right? Like, how else do you give up children? How else do you give up careers? Why do you, how else do you give up freedom unless you're freaking crazy? Well, the truth was I was sick, you know, that I suffered from an illness, an illness of the mind and an illness of the body. And there's probably, and, and like I said last week, I was kind of resentful that, I, that it took three months for me to hear that information in Alcoholics Anonymous. So you'll probably hear every meeting that I speak in talk about the doctor's opinion because, because it's step one. Because it's step one, you know, and, and all the other stuff is uh, leading to the work that we're going to do in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, but it was the first time in my life that I knew that, that, uh, that there was no hope that I was going to stay stopped. You know, William James says that the, the, uh, all uh, spiritual awakenings are grounded in chaos and calamity. <laughs> you know, that are usually grounded in tragedy. You know, that I didn't get up one morning and say, I got a great idea, I'm going to change my life, I'm going to go to AA and get my shit together. And that's just not the way it happens. You know, it usually happens where I have nowhere else to go. I have nothing else uh, that I think is going to help me. I'm, I'm desperate. And I reach out to my sister and ask her to take me to an AA meeting. And, and that, I don't even know where that comes from, by the way. That, that comes from out of nowhere. I had never talked to my sister about AA. My sister had never said, you should come to AA with me. Nobody ever said, Pat, you should go to your, with your sister to AA. Uh, matter of fact, when I got here, I didn't even know you guys didn't drink. You know, I, I didn't know. My sister was drinking for years, and she came, you know. But I had no idea. I, I came here because I didn't know what else to do, and alcohol had stopped working. And and uh, and I didn't know. I mean, you know, my first three months, uh, I I was a meeting. I was with the meeting maker, make it people. I was with that crowd. And and I and I want to talk about that for a meeting, a minute, because I think sometimes I come across like I minimize this fellowship. This fellowship is one of the powers that we need to tap into to recover. I mean, this this is an amazing fellowship. I you know. 
I can't do the Zoom thing, man. You know, I just can't do it. I need to be here. I need to be with you people. And, and I, I believe that we bring God to this room. And, and there's just something safe about this room. I, I believe when we leave, God leaves with us. <laughs> you know, I really do. And, and I feel the presence of God. And I've always felt the presence of God. And I think that's one of the things that, that attracted me to the meeting so much. It's why I was at the 8 o'clock meeting, the noon meeting, the 5.30 meeting, the 7, the 8.30, the 10, and then Denny's with you guys you know, because I felt safe with you guys, you know, and I don't even know, I didn't know at the time what that was. I just knew that when I came into this room, that all of that was out there, and I was okay in here, that whatever was going on in my life, the lawsuits, and the restraining orders, and the business collapsing, all that stuff was gone for an hour, you know, and as long as I was with you, it seemed to be gone, and as soon as I got home, the voices started again, you know, and, and, and the, the calamity started again, you know, and, and I would be all worried and, and what, what's going to happen next, how am I going to get my stuff back, and then I would come to the meeting at 8 in the morning, and I would be okay, you know, and, and I, I, I can't minimize uh, our job uh, as members of this fellowship is to do that for the newcomer that walks in there, to wrap our arms around this guy, to reach our hand out, this guy or gal, and welcome them to Alcoholics Anonymous and make them feel safe here, make them feel welcome here. Uh, I needed that desperately, you know, and, and, and yeah, lay the kid of spiritual tools at their feet, but, but this, there's two powers that we're dealing with here. We're talking about the power of the fellowship, and we're talking about the power of the vital spiritual experience, the vital spiritual awakening, the, the transformation that takes place uh, via the 12 steps. But... Uh, I needed Billy G in my life, you know, and I, I needed Sean L. in my life. I needed Brian H. in my life. I wanted to know where those guys were every single freaking day, every day. As a matter of fact, when, when Brian was sponsoring me later on, if Brian was out with his girlfriend, I was freaking jealous. You know, I was like, what the hell's up with that shit? I thought this was life and death. You know what I mean? What's, what's he doing? Dating. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a responsibility here, for God's sake. You know what I mean? We were supposed to get together with the, read the book, you know? But I didn't, you know, like I kind of lived at the fifth chapter club. But if, if Billy and Sean or, or Brian weren't at the fifth, I wanted to know where they were. You know, and I stalked those guys, and, and I stalked the guys they stalked. Paul and I were talking about it before the meeting. You know, these guys like, like Father Bob and, and Mike L. at the time was on freaking fire, and Ben T., and, and, and uh, you know, I, I could go on and on. Dave Todd, you know, you know, those guys back in the day. I wanted to know where those guys were. Zeke, you know, was on fire at that time, you know, and I wanted to know where they were. You know, because I wanted to hear what they had to say. You know, I wasn't just going to go to any meeting. You know, like I, my guys tell me that. Well, you going to a meeting? No, yeah, I'm going to meet. Which one? I don't know. You know, the 101 club's right up the street. And I, well, who's there? I don't know. I don't, what kind of meeting is it? I'm not sure. You know, like, what the hell are you going there for? To get your paper signed? You know, I mean, why? I mean, what's, go somewhere that matters. You know, go somewhere that matters. And I, I wanted to hear what those guys had to say. You know, because those guys, those guys were on fire. You know. Those guys were carrying a message, and, and I, I was—I uh, always think of a, a story that uh, when I'm up when I'm up at uh, my son's in Jacksonville, uh, we go to his church on Sunday, and uh, Pastor Russ uh, usually does a sermon. And the, about a year ago, I was up there, and uh, 
and it was the anniversary of the church. And if anybody knows anything about football, uh, Mark Broombell and Tony Baselli were two of the founders of the church, a quarterback for the Jags and a linebacker for the Jags. And, uh, and they were both up there talking about how the church started. And, and, and Russ asked Tony Baselli, what was the most imp- pivotal thing that ever happened in your life? What was, what was the turning point in your life? And he said, it was the day that I met Mark Broomell. And he goes, and, and everybody kind of looked at their head. He goes, no. He says, Mark and I became so close that Mark could read my facial expressions. And when I walked into a meeting or I walked into the room, Mark would go, what's up? Let's go talk. You know, he would know that, I, that something was wrong. And he said, and so, I mean, the most, it, it, my friendship with Mark is the most important thing with my life. You know, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what time of night or day it is, I can call Mark and he'll be there. You know, he'll be there. He'll drop what he's doing and he'll come and help me out. And they asked Mark the same thing. And Mark said, meet and Tony. You know, that, that Tony and I have a relationship and, and same thing. Tony can read my phone. He can read my attitude. He can, he can, he senses where I'm at. And no matter, and, and he's there for me no matter what and no matter when. Uh, he'll drop whatever he's doing and he'll come and meet me. And, and that's what this fellowship is about. Billy G, no matter what, no matter, and today even though, and Billy and I don't see each other as much, but no matter, if I called Billy right now, Billy would call me back in a half hour and tell Billy, I need to talk. Billy would call me back in a half an hour. And I'll tell you some stories where we were on the same wavelength at the time. Like I don't talk to this guy for a year and a half, two years, and I'm going through some crazy shit, like a divorce in recovery, and Billy calls me out of nowhere and goes, what's going on with you? What are you talking about? I'm fine. You know, like I'm, coming, I'm thinking suicide. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to go, I'm going to go become a monk in the woods of Cook's Forest in northern Pennsylvania somewhere. You know, I'm going to go live off the land. After you, I don't want to be around people anymore. You know, I'm going to take a dog with me and that's going to be it. You know, and, and I thought, oh, Billy, I'm fine. He goes, no, you came on my heart today. Something's up. And, and I talked to him and told him what was going on. And he comes and picks me up. And takes me to a meeting. And I'll talk about what happened at that meeting later. Because it was a turning point in my life. Where does that come from? That connection. You know, that's, in, that's incredible. The power of this fellowship. And, and I know I could call him anytime I want. I got guys in my life. My sponsor, Randy, I could call him anytime. He'll drop whatever hell he's doing. We need those people. We need those people. Those are those, those, those turning points that we stand at that the book talks about, right? We stand at the turning point. You're going to stand at a ton of them. Are you going to have a breakthrough or a breakdown? Which one are you going to have? You know, are you going to break through it and grow? Or are you going to break down and use? You know? Well, I want to tell you something. There were times where I was contemplating breaking down and using. And, but instead, I called Billy. Or I called Brian. Or I called Sean. You know, and I dumped them, and those guys said, "Come on, let's go have coffee. You know, let's get together." And I had a breakthrough rather than a breakdown. And part of it is just the ability to say, "I'm hurting. Help me. Help me. I need." That's humility, man. You know exactly who and what we are in that moment. I am powerless, and I was powerless at 15 years sober over certain situations. Right? And when I say I'm going to go use, it might not be starting with a drink or a drug. It might be some, it might be her. It might be some damn porn site somewhere, you know. It might go on a spending spree somewhere, you know. I'll use somehow. I love a doctor's opinion. I use some artistic license when he says these alcohol, these allergic types can never use alcohol in any form. 
Let me tell you something. Alcohol shows up in my life in a lot of different forms. It's not just solid and liquid. You know, there's a lot of forms alcoholism shows up in my life. You know, and I can go on a binge and and block myself from the sunlight of the spirit in a heartbeat. Right, and it'll take me out of whatever I'm feeling. It'll change the way I'm feeling temporarily. Yeah. So I ask, I, I tell that story because if you're new here, who's your Tony Baselli? Who's your Mark Brumel? I mean, think about that. I mean, if you're in halfway or, or you know, you're new to this program and you're, you're, you're just doing, you're doing a lot of meeting, who is your go-to? You've got to have that go-to, man. You've got to have that person. I mean, this fellowship is amazing if you use it. Absolutely amazing. God speaks through you. Right? God speaks through all three sides of that triangle, man. There are times where I cannot connect. I am so caught up in the way I feel, I can't connect. I sometimes don't think about praying. Can you imagine? I am so freaking pissed off. But as soon as I talk to you, God speaks through you. As soon as I come into the meeting room, God enters my spirit. You know, he works through you. He works through my sponsees. As soon as I call one of my sponsees, I'm out of myself and I'm back in the sunlight. This fellowship is powerful. But like I said, that in itself won't keep you sober. You know, it won't keep you stay. It won't, it won't keep you stopped. You know, it won't, it won't long term. It won't. You know, we, we're going to have, we're, we're the hopeless variety. We're the ones that, given sufficient reason, we get high anyway. <laughs> you know, we're given good reason to stay stopped. That's what separates us from, from the heavy drinker or the hard drinker versus the alcoholic. You know, wh- what is different about me versus Jimmy D, right, that I hung out with and ran with for 20 years? You know? Why when Jimmy got a call from his wife after we ripped and roared and Jimmy did as much dry goods as I did and was as hooked as I was and, and Jimmy and I are sitting in that biker's bar over in Margate. We, neither one of us had a bike. I don't know what the hell we were doing there. But you, we're in this biker's bar and, and Jimmy gets a call from his wife and his wife says, either come home now or I'm getting a divorce. And freaking Jimmy went home. Like that sissy went home. Yeah, like I, I didn't go home. I, nobody tells me what to do. I'm a grown ass man. You know, I mean, who are you, my mother? That's the kind of shit I used to say, right? Who are you, my mother? Yeah, I'm divorced three times. I'm on my third marriage. <laughs> you know, Jimmy's still married. He <laughs> had three beautiful kids. You know, he's been married longer than I'm sober. That's for sure. You know, now I guarantee you that Jimmy went home and shook, rattled, and rolled. You know, I know he was as dependent on that alcohol and whatever drugs we were doing as I was, right? The difference is I'm an addict. The difference is I'm an alcoholic, right? When somebody's, the difference between somebody dependent, they get clean, they get sober, and they go, damn, I'm never doing that shit again, right? They go spend 30 grand on treatment, and they leave, and they don't get high again, (laughs) you know? Or, Or they moderate, you know, or they moderate, right? We go spend thirty grand on treatment, and we come out. And we first thing we're thinking about, we're we're waiting to get re- released, and we're wondering where we're going to go get some. You know, how am I going to change this feeling? Right now that I'm clean, now that I'm three months clean, I'm ready to roar. Right, or maybe we come out of there and we make a s- solemn resolution: I am done this time. I am done this time. 
And then that feeling sets in, right? That anxiety sets in. Those voices start again. Yeah. And then I, I believe the lie. I'm going to have three. I'm just going to, I just want to get, I just want to, I just want that. You know, I just want to, I just want to be able to take a deep breath. I don't want to, you know, I just want that. You know, and boom, I'm off to the races again. Right. We're, you're, you're in, in, uh, in chapter two, it talks about the difference, right? I love the, uh, the, the, the what, what about the real alcoholic, right? Let's see if I can find it. <laughs> Absurd, you know, if you find yourself in here, right? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, seldom mildly intoxicated, always more or less insanely drunk. Disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. One of the finest fellows in the world, but let him drink, he becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. Genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or an engagement met. Perfectly sensible and well-balanced in everything except liquor, but in that respect, incredibly dishonest and selfish, right? We got tremendous willpower. It isn't that we don't have willpower. We have tremendous willpower. To keep my alcoholic life going the way it was and make it to work, that's willpower, that takes a lot of willpower to keep that. Bill calls it a career. Been about three times. I love that. Our drinking careers. It was a career to keep that maintained. That takes willpower. Just the problem is that willpower when it comes to alcohol is, is incredibly weak for some reason. Right? Most of us possess special abilities and skills and aptitudes and have a promising career where some of the smartest people in the world are in these rooms. Incredible. We use these gifts to build up an outlook for our family and for ourselves and we pull the structure down on our heads with a series of senseless sprees. Go to bed so intoxicated we should sleep around the clock but we get up the next morning looking for a bottle or we get up the next morning and actually go to work. Right? Actually go to work. Right? If you can afford to have liquor hidden all over the house. As matters grow worse, we use a combination of high-powered sedatives and liquor. Oh, we don't talk about drugs here, though. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Bill Wilson, that's what landed his ass in detox. <laughs> that combination. <laughs> Perhaps he goes to a doctor, gives him morphine or some sedative. Right. Go get some treatment. Right. Slightly nervous disposition, Doc. You know, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. I need a little something. <laughs> then he starts to appear at treatment centers and detoxes. Right? That's us. That's the real alcoholic, right? The, the heavy drinker, Jimmy D, given sufficient reason, a divorce, you're going to die young, you end up, you got early stages of hep C, you know, going to go to jail. You're going to be violated Friday if you test dirty. We get high anyway. We drink anyway. Because I can't stay stopped. I can't stand me stopped. I love Sandy Beach, man. You know know what happens when you stop drinking? You're freaking sober. (laughs) That shit sucks. That shit sucks. (laughs) You know, I struggled for three months white knuckling this thing. Thank God for the fellowship. I'll never discount that. Thank God that I had you guys to lean on for those three months. I would have never made it. But let me tell you something. My reprieve ran out at 90 days. I was suicidal at 90 days. I knew I couldn't drink, and I knew I could not drink. 
Now what? This shit don't work. You know, I didn't know about a program. All I knew was the, I thought the fellowship was the program. I thought you, I thought this was the program. Turns out the program is the book. You know, that I lack sufficient power to stay stopped. That I am powerless, and that's what it means to be powerless. I cannot, on my own power, stay stopped. Yeah. Void of some spiritual awakening, void of some psychic change, I'm doomed. And we need to conclude that. I mean, our recovery is based in those two... Our, our recovery is based in the fact that I am faced with an insurmountable obstacle. Yeah. Why else would I seek God's help? Why else would I seek God? I consciously separated from God as a youngster. Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with God. Why would I? It's like the no fun police. You know what I mean? I mean, I grew up Catholic. Like, you're not allowed to do shit when you're Catholic. You know what I mean? You can't have any fun Catholic. Right? I mean, from 13 years on, all I could think about was sex, and you're not allowed to have sex. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Here's the message I got. And look, I'm, I don't get that message today. I don't feel that way when I go to church today. But here's, here's the message I got. Right? If you jump through the hoop, God loves you. And if you don't jump through the hoop, you're going to the fire. And we had this thing called purgatory. I guess it was a halfway house. <laughs> Forgot, if, if, you weren't bad, if you weren't good enough to get through the gates and not bad enough to get burnt, you went to halfway. You know? <laughs> And I don't remember the prayer that we used to pray that would shoot you up there. Somebody would say a prayer and you get shot up and you get saved. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that I was either going to hell, and if I wasn't going to hell, I was surely going blind. <laughs> and that uh, I needed to consciously separate from this. You know, I love what, uh, I think it's 423, I think it is, in A Window of Opportunity in the story, where, where, the, where the, the speaker talks about, uh, you know, when an alcoholic can't live up to their moral standards, a normal person would change their behavior. We lower our standards, right? When we can't live up to our goals in life, we don't change our attitude or our behavior to meet the goals. We lower our goals. You know, and that's what I did. I, I made a conscious decision to separate myself from anything like that fairy tale, you know, where there's such a thing as heaven or hell, you know. And I decided to go onto the fun side of the island, you know, and just disregard that altogether. So I wasn't thrilled to death when I got here. And you guys tell me your solution is God. You know, the, the second step is, you know, came to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. You know, and I knew what they were talking about. They were talking about God because the word God's in the very next step. Yeah. Now, my perception of God was the problem, not so much the God word. Right? I think the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it depends on whose story you want to believe how that took place, whether you want to believe Ebby's story or Bill's story, but uh, two different stories. And by the way, you know, all of our history was, was oral history up until 1939, right? Nothing was written down. I don't think anybody knew what was going to happen. I don't think anybody knew. Maybe Bill knew. Bill was a visionary. But I don't know if anybody imagined that there would be 2.2 million people sober in the, in the world, over a million people in the United States sober. You know, I don't know if they ever realized what this fellowship was going to become. I'm sure Bob didn't. Bill might have, you know. But, you know, what is there? 
700 and some meetings in Broward County now, 300 and some groups. You know, I mean, that's just incredible, you know, that any time, just about any place you can find a meeting, you know, uh, and, and go lean on the fellowship. But, I, 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 you know, Abby talks about Bill coming on his heart and calling Lois and saying, you know, what's going on with Bill? And, and she's saying Bill's killing himself drinking. And Ebby decides to go over and see Bill, and they have a discussion, and not in the kitchen, by the way, on the second floor of the house with a bunch of a couple other people there. Uh, not the way Bill tells the story. Bill tells the story that he's waiting for Ebby, and Ebby shows up. But it could, it doesn't really matter, you know. Uh, if you ask Brian how we met, it's a different story than what I probably just told you, and they're both true. You know, they're both true. I, I think what happened is Bill and Ebby met a few times, but Bill would never let the truth get in the way of his message. You know, Bill was always trying to carry a message. And Bill's message in the big book is one alcoholic on another. You know, one alcoholic talking to another. And he would never let those other meetings get in the way of carrying that message. And that's how important he felt this fellowship was. The identification that takes place, one alcoholic carrying a message to another, no matter how crazy they might sound. Bill knew Ebby was an alcoholic. Bill knew how Ebby drank. He drank with Ebby. He knew he was one of those hopeless variety drunks. And for Ebby to show up sober, that's incredible. That's incredible. And that's where our stories have that power. That when I start telling you what happened to me and you start saying, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that happened to me. Yeah, I felt like that too. Boom, there's a bond created. And no matter what I say to you at that point, you're going to listen. Yeah. So I think the miracle takes place right there where Bill's, you know, what Bill say, the, the more Ebby, Ebby's carrying a religious message to Bill Wilson, right? He's taking the Oxford Group message to Bill Wilson. And Bill says, the, the more Ebby preached, the drunker I got, yeah? And he was getting pissed. And Ebby was getting pissed because of drunker Bill God as he, as he tried to carry this message, this message, uh, this life-saving message to Bill. Bill's getting trashed, right? And finally, Bill, Bill, Bill tells the story that out of frustration, Ebby looks at him and says, well, damn it, Bill, why don't you just believe in what other concept, whatever conception of God you want to believe in? And Bill talks about that in his story. It floored him. That stopped him right there in his tracks. And he said, you know, I can do that. On that foundation, I could probably come to believe. Because right? alcoholics like their own idea of anything. Right? If it's my idea. You know, I think AA is probably the spiritual heights of the century. You know, I think Father Dowling said that. That, that, that Bill Wilson took the, the, all the things in religion that would work for an alcoholic and combined them in this big book, you know. And he left everything else out that would keep us from, from buying in, you know. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? We like our own conception of anything, you know. That I don't have to believe in the Catholic God or the Protestant God or the Jewish God or the Muslim God. I can choose my own conception of God. And by the way, it doesn't say create your own conception. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say like create a doorknob as your Good luck with that, by the way, if you're praying to the almighty doorknob in the middle of the night. You know, uh, I don't know how, how that's going to work for you. You know, I chose to define the God of my understanding as a God of forgiveness, you know. A God of love, a God of mercy. And, and it was the God of my misunderstanding. I didn't label it. And I want to tell you something. For years, I prayed to the God of my misunderstanding. Yeah. And that's how I started, to the God of my misunderstanding. Yeah. I don't know who, what, and by the way, I'm still not so sure about all that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that uh, we're all energy. 
Everything on this planet is energy. You can't create or destroy energy. There's no beginning and there's no end to energy. And we know, science tells us, that we are, everything on this planet is energy. So it kind of makes me believe I'm going to be here forever, you know, in one shape or another, and maybe in another dimension. You know, they're coming to the conclusion now there may be an unlimited amount of dimensions within dimensions. I mean, they have no clue, no clue what's going on. So I think I'm like, you could call it heaven if you want, but I think I'm here forever. I don't think there's a beginning or an end to the energy that, that creates this form, you know. And you might be able to destroy this vessel, but you can't destroy the energy, you know. So that's my conception, you know. But I go anywhere where God is. I don't care what it says on the outside of the building. You know, I will go anywhere to seek God. You know, and it uh, doesn't have to be any particular denomination. And, and I, I think a lot of people come in here thinking that we're a religious denomination, you know, a religious, religious organization. That's the first thing Bill says in the preface, and, and that we are not a religious organization. You know? But our solution is spiritual. <laughs> our solution is of a spiritual nature. And we're going to, out of convenience, we're going to use the word God. You know? Fortunately, it's the God of your understanding, not the God of mine. We're not telling you that you need to believe in anything. All we're asking you do, to do is be willing to believe that there's a power greater than you. you know? I could do that. I can do that. You know? The great fact is just this and nothing less that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences that have revolutionized our lives. Right? The central fact of our life today is that God has entered our hearts in a way which is indeed miraculous and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous and commences to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I couldn't stay stopped and now I can. As a result of this course of action, I can stay stopped. I don't suffer from the obsession to drink and drug anymore. You know? I'm not telling you I don't think about it. <laughs> I will always think in my mind will always remember the ease and comfort that comes at once from half a bottle of Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill. I still remember at 16 years old drinking that half a bottle of Boone's Farm. Yeah. I still remember what it feels like when that opium, when that amoxies kick in. You know, I remember that warmth that comes down. I still remember that, but I know the truth in it now. And you know what? I have another go-to. I don't have to go to the, to the booze or the drugs. I have a power greater than myself that I can go to. And this book, this, this program has given me that option. Yeah. And, I'm, and as I said before, sometimes God speaks through you, sometimes God speaks through my sponsees, and sometimes I can make that great direct connection with God. You know. But it, no matter what, I can turn to the, to the God of my understanding. I want to read something real quick. This is a pamphlet that came out a couple of years ago, that, uh, and it's got a quote from Bill Wilson in it. And, uh, and I'm just going to read that. I'm not going to, uh, if I can find it. Hold on. Here we go. He wrote this in 1965. It says, we have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion in AA. We are supposed to be bound together in a kinship of common suffering, Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be the first consideration for us all. Let us not, therefore, pressure anyone with our 
with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that is due to every human being as he tries to make his way toward the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among us is a member of AA so long as he or she declares. Whatever you do, please do not let someone else's religious beliefs prevent you from finding the solution that is available to you through Alcoholics Anonymous. That's Bill Wilson. That's our co-founder, right? I, I love uh, what you guys started the, uh, the, the meeting with today. I, I usually read that, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. But that uh, appendix, Spiritual 2, that Bill put in in the second, second printing of the uh, first edition of the big book, he didn't put it in the front. And we can thank Hank Parkhurst for that, by the way. Hank Parkhurst wanted that in the first printing of the first edition. Uh, but Bill Wilson was so taken back by his spiritual experience that he had in Towns Hospital. That's what he wanted to sell. And, and we know from his history that for six months he sobered nobody up trying to sell that spiritual experience. It wasn't until he got the steps in the right order and started talking about the, the fatal nature of the illness that people started listening to him. You know, that, that you're going to die if you continue down this road. He talked about the obsession of mind and the allergy of the body before he gave him that other medicine. But for a long time, he was like just so caught up in that white light experience that he had in Towns Hospital. He wanted everybody to share that. And why wouldn't he? Right? Why wouldn't he? Right? I mean, I had an experience, too, in my fifth step. Like an amazing experience. And I'd love to share that with everybody. I'd like to have everybody have that experience. But you got to start at step one. (laughs) You can't start at step whatever, you know, step five or step nine or step 12, wherever you have that experience. You got to start at the beginning. Right? But, but Hank Parkhurst tells Bill, because they're getting, now they're getting inundated, right? The first printing goes out. People are doing this. They're not having this white light experience that Bill Wilson had in Towns Hospital. What are we doing wrong, Bill? Why are we not having this clean wind blowing through a mountaintop experience that you had? And Hank Parkhurst said, T told you. Told you you should have put it in there. And in the second printing, he puts the Appendix 2 in there. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, but look what Bill does. He's a wordsmith. And let me tell you, Bill never likes to repeat himself. So he changes the wording a lot. But in the first paragraph, he says something so profound, right? The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading show that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Two things you learn in the very first paragraph that he wants to drive home. That a spiritual experience slash spiritual awakening is nothing more than a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. A personality change. Carl Jung with Rowan Hazard, right? Rowan Hazard spends a year. He doesn't spend a year, but let's, the book says he spends a year with Rowan Hazard. With uh, Carl Jung, the best, one of the best psychiatrists in the world. Right? What do you say when he left there? I have such an, a knowledge of the inner workings of my mind that it would be unthinkable to have a drink. After all I've learned from Dr. Young, there's no way I'm picking up a drink. He stops in Paris before he gets on the ship to come home, and they offer him a drink, and he celebrates his recovery. Right? He has a drink, never even makes it back to the ship. And he has a drink in Paris and goes back there. And you know what Young tells him? I misdiagnosed you. I thought you were crazy. I thought you had mental issues. It's way worse. It's way worse. 
You're an alcoholic. Can you imagine? No, this is one of the most celebrated psychiatrists, psychologists in the world. Tells Roland Hazard, it's worse. You, it couldn't be any worse for you. You're an alcoholic. I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your type, of our type. The hopeless variety. And what I'm saying when I say that is identifying with the real alcoholic. Or identifying with, with Jimmy. Like, like you've given up your freedom. You've given up loved ones. You've given up children. You've given up careers. Because you can't stay stopped. That's the hopeless variety. Right? That's me. And what's he tell him? Here and there, once in a while. Here and there, once in a while. I've seen people have what are called spiritual experiences. Here and there, once in a while. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes were once the guiding forces of these men and women replaced by a whole new set of conceptions. The way they think, the way they feel, therefore the way they act, changes. Right? He calls them religious experiences. Right? And what does Roland do? He seeks out the biggest religious organization of, the, of that time, and that's the Oxford Groups. Right? And he gets with Sam, uh, Buckman. Right? And eventually gets with uh, Sam Shoemaker in the United States. And he gets sober at the Calvary Mission in New York City. Right? As a result of working the program of action that the Oxford groups have, which is the foundation of our steps, right? If you ever read the foreword in the, in the second edition, he talks about the tenants. They had 28 tenants. The tenants that Bill was willing to accept, right? Inventory, surrender, inventory, confession, restitution, a belief in a dependence upon God and helping other people. Right? The six-step program that Bill Wilson refers to later on, the one that Dr. Bob used. And if you don't think that's true, go to page 263, right? Earl Treat's story. It'll show you the six steps that Dr. Bob used to take him two steps. Yeah. We can see that's the foundation of our 12 steps, right? Add steps one and two. Add steps six and seven. Add an eighth step. Add a daily inventory in step 10, and you got the 12 steps. Yeah. Bill goes on and uses the same... He's talking about change, right? Ideas, emotions, attitude, change. Bill uses... Look at the words he uses to, to, to refer to change. These personality changes, these religious experiences, these spectacular upheavals, these sudden revolutionary changes, these immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, a transformation, a difference, a profound alteration, change, an awareness of a power greater than ourselves, spiritual experience, God consciousness. Uses word after word after word after word that means change. Change. And what can defeat us? Well, we can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We can only be defeated by not changing. That's the only thing that will defeat us. Everything we freaking know when we get here is killing us. Everything we know when we get here is killing you. And I'm talking to the believers and the non-believers. Your, if your belief was sufficient, you wouldn't be here, you'd be there. You would be there. And look, if, you, if you're sitting here and you think your religious beliefs are sufficient, go there. Because it's probably more fun. Yeah. 
I'm in AA because I have to be. <laughs> Believe me, I love it and I get to be, but look, I'm here. I, Todd and I were talking about on the way down here. I do what I do because I have to do what I do. <laughs> part of the deal is carrying the message, man. That's part of the deal. Sponsorship's part of the deal. I don't care if it says suggestion in our book or not. It's a suggestion like wear a parachute if you're going to jump out of a plane. You know, that's the kind of suggestion it is. 10, 11, and 12 is the deal, right? That spiritual appendix, it's, it, it mentions it on page 25, on page 27, on page 47. Bill's just like, please read this for amplification, you know, explained, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's trying to drive the fact home. And it doesn't have to be this white light experience. It can, it can be a slower, as, as he says, a spiritual awakening, a slower process as a, as a result of working these steps and incorporating these steps in your life. We have this personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. Right? Or you can have that sudden and immediate overwhelming God consciousness take place as a result of one of the steps. Uh, you know, I'll share with you later where it, it happened for me in step five. You know, and I'm not saying I didn't expand on that. I'm not saying that, you know, more didn't happen as a result of that. But, uh, but that's our solution. That's the only solution AA has to offer, by the way. We don't have any other solution. And I don't know when or how this program changed from a not drinking fellowship uh, or from a life transforming fellowship to a not drinking fellowship. I don't know when that happened. You know, probably, you know, I, when I came here in, in the early 90s, it was starting already. It was kind of, you know, don't drink and go to meetings kind of thing. You know, don't, and you even hear some of the old timers, right? Don't drink and don't die. I mean, what the, you know, the kind of suggestion is that for the newcomer, right? Don't drink and don't die, you know? If I could not drink, I wouldn't be here, right? If I could just, I would listen to the doctor's opinion and I would go home and say, got it. Just say no. I got it. That's what the book's saying. Just say no. The gift that Silkworth gives to society is the second part of that step. The physical compulsion. Right? That's the gift that he gives us. That's the part that nobody knew. Everybody knew we were whacked. You know? Everybody, everybody knew that we had emotional issues. You know, that we were mental defects. You know? Everybody already knew that. I mean, God, uh, you know, a couple people, Trotter and, and, and Benjamin Rush, they wrote papers on it. Charlie Towns from Towns Hall, he wrote a paper on it. They all knew that we were kind of crazy. Yeah? But the gift that Silkworth gives us is the physical compulsion. That's what separates us. That's what separates me from my brother. Right? I think about my childhood, I get depressed, I have a couple drinks, off on a run. My brother thinks about our childhood, he gets a little depressed, he has a couple beers, he goes and watches TV. Maybe goes to bed, because he gets a little sleepy from it. You know? He gets a slightly tipsy out of, I get a hot and tense, I got to go do something, right? It's like me, when I put liquor in my body, it's like taking speed. When he puts liquor in his body, it's a depressant. Right? He gets tired. He goes to bed, I go to town. Yeah. Totally different. Same childhood, though. The difference is the physical reaction, not the mental reaction. My brother is allergic to bananas, which we used to, like, sneak bananas into his shit once in a while. <laughs> Kids are mean, man, you know. His lips would swell up. He'd have a hard time breathing. We'd go, look at him. <laughs> look at him suffering over there, you know. Shouldn't eat that damn banana, right? You know. But my brother never believes the lie. You know, he never eats bananas. He just doesn't eat them. 
He knows that there's going to be a physical reaction if he eats the banana. He doesn't say, it's where I'm eating the bananas. I think I'll go to Florida. I'll, eat, I'll be able to eat them in Florida. He doesn't say, it's the people I'm eating the freaking bananas with. I need to stop eating the bananas with those people. He doesn't say, it's the brand. I, I got to stop eating those damn Chiquitas. I got to switch to the dull banana. You know? He just doesn't eat the freaking bananas. Okay. Same with anybody else that has an allergic reaction. So why is it that I have tried this experiment over and over and over again and always gotten the same result, and my mind still tells me this time's going to be freaking different? Right. Maybe alcohol does something bananas don't. Right? Maybe alcohol does something for me that bananas won't. So God is the solution. I'm running out of time, huh? I had a lot more to say. So we got a couple. Next week we're gonna we're gonna talk about it uh, a little bit more about this God thing, uh, and how I was actually tricked into the second step. You know, I actually got the second step before I got the first step. You know, I mean, and and maybe I'll talk about that real quick. Do you, do you remember Camper John from the Fifth Chapter Club? Yeah, I wonder where he went. I wonder where he's at. Yeah. Camper John was the bartender at the Fifth Chapter Club, if you want to call him that coffee bar. And the Fifth Chapter Club was a cool place. It had a meeting room, and then it had a coffee bar next door. So if you didn't want to hear that crap, you could go talk about them in the other room, you know. <laughs> uh, you know? And, and, and they did some 12-step work in there once in a while and, uh, and, and played cards and checkers and chess and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, when I, I was a couple, maybe three weeks sober, and I'm, I'm, I'm still like detoxing, you know, and I'm, and I'm standing there shaking, and John, I've got my coffee in my hand, John, John says, man, you don't look too good, and I said, yeah, I don't feel too good, and he goes, yeah, I don't think you're going to make it through the day, and I said, well, thanks, John, and I start to walk away, and he says, no, 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 come back, and he says, look, here's what you need to do, you need to get up in the morning, ask God to keep you away from a drink, he said, the end of the night, you got to thank him. And I said, oh, okay, thanks for that, John. And I started to walk away, and he goes, no, 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 come back. And he says, what you need to do, because I don't think you can make it through the day, is you need to ask God to get you to lunch. You know what? Maybe you should ask him just to get you to work, right? And then ask him to get you to lunch. And then ask him to get you till maybe midday. You know, pick a time. And, you know, I started doing that. And I started to put some time together. I started to put a couple weeks together, and it, and it started to be not quite as hard. Now, I'm detoxing, so obviously that's going to get better. But I really believe that John's message to me got me through the detox, you know, because I'm in the bathroom on a job in South Miami on my knees asking God to get me through the hour. Right? And I get a couple of weeks sober, and I go, shit, there's something to this God thing. And I actually went to the jewelry store next door to where I was working, and, and they buzzed me in. I go, I need a cross. And he, and he says, you want a crucifix? I said, I'm not going that far. <laughs> Just give me a, And I don't know why I did that. I mean, I, and, I, and I still have it, by the way. It was 30 years ago. You know, and I've lost it twice. I lost it in my yard and found it. And I lost it in, on a job somewhere. And somebody turned and gave it to me, called me up and said, I found your cross. And, and, and what it does is remind me of that day. It reminds me of that conversation with John. And it reminds me to pray. 
you know, and, 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 and it worked, you know, and, and John's second step, by the way, they called him Camper John because he lived in a camper, right, either behind Denny's North or Denny's South, he was either one of the Denny's, so if you wanted to talk to John, you could find him at Denny's in Deerfield or Denny's in Pompano, you know, but, but uh, I often wonder where he went, but John second stepped me, and I didn't even know it, you know, and it was, it gave me enough, just enough hope to make it that 90 days when I was falling apart, and told all of you guys off. And then Brian comes and meets me at the railing. And shows me the program of Alcoholics Anonymous right here. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's thank Pat again. And we're going to have James come up for the secretary's report. Thank you. <laughs> In keeping with the seven tradition, which states every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I've asked Andrew to read the recovered statement, reread this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what exactly that means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hey guys, I'm Andrew and I'm an alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, 1940s-style big book sponsorship from Ford to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistic above suggests a 75-plus percent success rate. Uh, can I ask for a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? we got a lot tonight. Uh, is there anyone that needs a sponsor? All have sponsors. Wonderful. All right. We have some announcements. Chris, if you could put them up. This is the Broward County Intergroup. You can get A, literature, medallions. The help hotline is listed there at the bottom. Do you have the one for BCIC, Chris? And there we go. Uh, Broward County Institutions Committee. Do we have any BCIC members here tonight? Nope? Okay. Um, they meet at the 12-step house, second Saturday of the month. Uh, they go to the jails and institutions and other places we can't get out of. Um, please join us Monday nights for our Big Book study meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fe fellowship is at 6.30, and the Big Book, starts, Big Book study starts at 7.15. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous at the sound of the bells. We'll see you next week. Um, we have tonight's session on all past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. 
Um, and I'd like to, once again, invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. Um, those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, just line up down the center aisle. Um, oh, also, if you vape or smoke, um, just uh, make sure you're just not near the doors. And then there's a little uh, cigarette butt bucket down there. Um, just toss the butts in there. Um, all right, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you all Monday or next Thursday.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Just about to smile. 
songs and people sing along and stomp their feet and raise their arms. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
tape. Got one man that just won't say. 